the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of the Blood God, U.S. Gamers' official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Kat Bailey, and joining me today is Jeremy Parrish. Hi, that's me, Jeremy Parrish, who's joining Kat Bailey. So, uh, with the apparently Armageddon upon us with the video games industry, uh, Nintendo going mobile, Kojima, apparently not a Konami anymore... Uh, it's going to be a one-on-one podcast. I think we're the only survivors in this post-apocalyptic gaming landscape. We're the only survivors? Yes, it's just the two of us podcasting into the abyss. That's why it's so quiet. Okay, now I understand. Scorched landscape and all that. But today, uh, to all those people who who have managed to survive and are listening on wireless radio in this post-apocalyptic world... Um, we're going to be talking about more Final Fantasy. We're going to be talking about the Final Fantasy 15 demo, and then we're going to go into depth on Final Fantasy Type-0 HD, which came out a couple days ago um, as, a record- as we are recording this podcast. It, it actually came out uh, with the Final Fantasy 15 demo, so it sure it's, all, did. it's all just part and parcel. And Jeremy streamed the Final Fantasy 15 demo, which you can find on our YouTube channel, I believe. Yes, it's it's a very impressive playthrough, if I do say so myself. I thought, oh, Final Fantasy, I've played all of those. I can just jump in and, and stream my first experience with the game, but it plays a lot differently than other Final Fantasy games. And I got about halfway through the session and realized, wow, I'm, I'm really taking the wrong approach to this. So I ended up dying and having to restart the whole thing over again, which I don't think impressed anybody. But... At least it kind of gives you an idea of um, sort of what you're in for if you haven't played it yet. And we'll be getting a little more into depth then about that in a second. Um, But we will also be finishing up the podcast with some comments about our uh, Canon of the Blood Cod entry on Final Fantasy VI. I promise that this podcast won't be Final Fantasy every week, though we could probably actually do a podcast solely about the Final Fantasy series, given how how many games have come out um, over the years. But... This week, it just happens to be full of Final Fantasy, so let's jump right into it. Final Fantasy XV demo, what are your thoughts, Jeremy? Uh, My thoughts are that it's really stupid that I'm not playing it right now. Oh yeah, you really, your your thoughts are that you wish you had the full release? No, just um, I haven't had enough time to, I mean, I've I've streamed the game, but I haven't had a chance to really spend any more time with the demo, and that Mm. makes me sad because I really like the direction it's going. Um, you know, the, the direction that director Hajime Tabata has talked about with the game, it sounds like it's fraught with potential for not being very satisfying for the, the traditional Final Fantasy fan. And, you know, it, it is a pretty different game than has come in the past, but, but some of the design choices he's talked about, like, I want combat to be one-button combat, like, that sounds awful, but that's not really how it works out. It's not like you just press a button to win. And even though there's definitely some inspiration being taken from stuff like Assassin's Creed, it's it's actually a lot more involved than that. And you have to make some pretty smart to choi- smart choices in, in the field and kind of really keep track of, of how you're acting and, um, you know, the, the choices you make in combat. Uh, and with it being a real-time sort of action-oriented system, that's, it, it's, it's pretty, I don't know, I, I, I feel like what I've seen in the demo is really well thought out, like a really good game structure. It's not just Kingdom Hearts with a boy band, like it originally seemed to be, and that makes me very relieved, because I really don't like Kingdom Hearts. <laughs> Those characters are very pretty. I have seen some people actually criticize it, saying, uh, I just hammered the square button slash X button, um, and things happened, and I got all the way through the demo. Uh, could you? What What are some of the interesting choices that you are perceiving in the demo? Well, I guess it's possible to just hammer the buttons and blindly make it through, but um, that only works if you're playing only during the daylight hours because it's one of those games that has a day night cycle that really makes a difference. It's you know like Simon's Quest, but a step beyond that. It's much much harder if you play the game after if you keep you know adventuring after the sun sets. Um, so, you know, if you, if you actually pay attention to what's happening, which I assume you're going to have to do beyond the bounds of the demo, um, 
you know, you, your your character has the ability to manifest a lot of different weapons. Um, they're called phantom weapons or something. And, uh, you know, that's something we've seen from the very first trailers of the game. Like, he has the ability to just cause weapons to materialize in the air. But, it like, each weapon you can sort of change on the fly what your current weapon is. And it changes the dynamic of how he controls. It gives him access to a different special move. Um, and it all seems very closely tied to previous Final Fantasy games. Like, um, you know, there's, uh, you, you can, you can switch to a phantom spear, which allows you to act like a dragoon or a dragon knight and do a jump command, which seems like a good idea until you start moving against fast enemies, in which case you jump and they move out of the way and you waste your experience or your, sorry, not your experience, your magic. Um, you have like a blood sword. So it, it, it kind of, uh, right there, it's like very Final Fantasy four, like Dark Knight, Dragoon. Um, and so that's like, I don't know, that, that's a nice little bit of fan service. And, you know, it does change up his, his combat rhythms and everything. So, um, you have to kind of think on the fly, like what's the best weapon for this situation. But more than that, there's also the mitigating magic point drain. Because you have, you know, this pool of magic points, and you use those for a lot of different things. You use those to, um, you know, to perform your special moves, like the drain sword, that kind of thing. But also, um, you have the ability to target an enemy or target a piece of scenery, you know, some some sort of active point uh, in the field of combat, and warp immediately to that point. Um, but that takes, you know, it, it zaps you across the screen. It causes a lot of damage to an enemy if you hit, but it also, uh, it, it, uh, drains a lot of magic points. So you really have to balance, like you can pull yourself out of danger with the warp move and, uh, sort of regenerate health and magic if you want to, but you really have to keep an eye on the magic points because if you let yourself, uh, go into, a deficit of magic point magic points, then you are uh, knocked into a condition called stasis, where you can't act. Basically, you can't move. You can't, or you, you can move very slowly, but you can't attack. You can't defend. You can't dodge. Dodging also takes magic points, and that's a big part of combat. So, you know, even though you have like this uh, button you can hold down to dodge enemies, if you just sit there holding it down you're going to go through your magic points really fast. So you have to kind of know, like, when is it smart to be on defense? When is it good to be on the offense? Like, there are some enemies who will attack you, and if you are defending, you'll be given just a flash second in which you can do a parry and uh, pretty much instantly kill the enemy, um, which is actually a mechanic similar to something in in, uh, Final Fantasy Type-0. That seems to be like a thing that Tabata likes. But... It requires timing and you know careful attention. So I'm I'm really impressed with the way the action mechanics work out because even though the Final Fantasy series and its spinoffs have gone into sort of that action mode before, it's always been very like stupid brain dead action. I mean, Kingdom Hearts. I know people like it, but the the combat in that series is just so bad. It's really terrible. And this is not like that. This is a really smart, tightly designed, very thoughtfully balanced combat system. And I'm, I'm really impressed. Like Final Fantasy can work in a sort of action design approach. And I'm really looking forward to see more, seeing more of it. Yeah. I was going to say that just based of what I've seen of it and how, uh, the little that I played of it, uh, the combat feels a lot weightier and more considered than in Kingdom Hearts, which is kind of twitchy. Um, I hesitate to use this term, but button mashy. Where oh, you it can, is button mashy. Like yeah. that's all you do in Kingdom Hearts. You just smash, smash, smash. And it's like you know, dial a combo. This is um, this is this is a little more nuanced, or a lot more actually. Well, I feel like it has to be nuanced to be able to carry the entire game, and I fully expect that once the final game comes out, it will be. Uh, if you just try to hammer your way through, uh, you're going to be in for a bit of a surprise. Um, so. I, I post the question to Twitter, like, what are their initial impressions? And I've gotten kind of wildly varying opinions. So one person, uh, Preposterous Whitey, said, Final Fantasy XV demo sold me completely. I really dig the bro trip vibe since I'm a big fan of JRPG cast chemistry, i.e. Final Fantasy IX. Whereas Brood War 64 said... 
The Final Fantasy XV demo was incredibly boring. The combat sucks and drags on forever and feels like Square Enix copying Western open world games without understanding any of quality of experience improvements uh, that open world games have, i.e. the minimap, fast travel, custom waypoints, etc. So, bit of a split opinion on this one. Um, yeah, I'm... I don't know. I'm not. I'm not really following that. That uh, that negative opinion. I, I get that people mm-hmm. aren't going to like this, but um, yeah, I don't know. Like, I, I'm wondering if he made the same mistake that I did, mm-hmm. which was to stay out fighting after the sunset, because once you do that, yeah, combat drags on because you'll get into a battle with enemies, and all of a sudden, uh more enemies will join the fray and then like these robots will come out of the sky and it's, it's really impossible to take out all the bad guys uh, that are attacking you, all the monsters and everything uh, before another batch of robots comes. And once the robots come, then more monsters will come in. So yeah, it just goes on forever and eventually you'll die. Um, I made that mistake at first and then I realized, Oh, what you really need to do is once it starts to get dark, go find a campsite or something and take shelter there and rest and then uh, you'll gain buffs for the next day and regenerate your health and so on and so forth Um, it's actually okay so I'm trying to rack my brain to remember which game it was maybe oh maybe it's just like D&D like old school D&D where you earn experience and then at the end of the day when you go to a camp you can uh basically choose your level ups or whatever, you know, your, your, your new powers and, uh, statistic bumps, uh, at the campfire at the end of the day. But it works like that too. Like once you go to the campfire, then you upgrade your abilities and so forth with all the experience you've earned during the day. So yeah. Um, I, I think that if you just try to bluff through and don't play the game the way it's kind of designed to be played and don't take advantage of the the built-in systems, yeah, it's not that fun. But if you are kind of being mindful of the the features uh, and, you know, kind of paying attention to the messages you're being given on screen, like, hey, your buffs have worn off, maybe you need to go to a campsite. Like, when it says that, it's not kidding. It means go to a campsite and uh, regenerate some health. You know, that that's that's how you're going to survive. Uh, I'm sure the the full game will vary from place to place. Like maybe when you're inside cities or something, uh, the dark of night won't be so bad. And there will probably be special quests that can only be completed at night. So you have to be more stealthy and try to avoid engagements at night. Um, I think there's a lot of potential on that. But uh, yeah, that that's that's my guess is that the the combat dragged on because um, he was he was going after enemies at night, which is just, at least in the demo, not a good idea. Other than that, I, I found combat to be pretty quick and straightforward. In a weird way, it almost that sort of reaction almost reminds me of the reaction that people had to Final Fantasy VIII, which was not a game that you could brute force, but a lot of people did anyway, With especially with summons, um, because summons were so emphasized, um, and then came away really disappointed. And it took really getting to know the systems and all of the different thing, all the different layers to really be able to understand and begin to enjoy that game. Do you see the kind of parallels too? Yeah, uh, actually that's a good point. I mean, Final Fantasy VIII, if you just go in and, and play it like a normal Final Fantasy, um, you're going to have a horrible time because the systems are designed to be approached differently. If you know what you're doing in Final Fantasy VIII, you can cheese that game so badly. Like you can just Love it. break it over your knee, and that's really <laughs> interesting. But if you if you just go in like head on, if you try to play it like you did Final Fantasy VII, man, you are in for the worst time. I, and you know, there's there's sort of the alternate um, flip side to Final Fantasy VIII's design, which was that people like to hoard things in, in RPGs. Oh, I can't use any of my items. Oh, I have to use as little magic points as possible. Well, you know, in Final Fantasy VIII, magic was a limited finite resource, and you had to pull it from enemies or turn items into magic casting points or, you know, find uh, find, find draw points in the environment. 
And there, there's a school of people who just have a miserable time playing Final Fantasy VIII because they, like, they spend all their time. As soon as they find a new spell, they just draw a hundred of it and max out all their characters. So it's like six characters times a hundred spells. That's tedious. And then they just refuse to use it because it's limited, and you're supposed to connect it to your character stats to make them stronger. Uh, you know, like the the spells that you attach to your your statistics, your you know your strength or your defense, like that that creates a buff, a boost, and instead of just traditional leveling up. And people see that and they're like, oh, if I cast this spell, I'll become weaker. But yeah, that, that's how it's designed. It's supposed to be a trade off. You're supposed to say like, you know, do I blast through these enemies with you know Fyraga or and, and you know potentially become like lose a little bit of magic power for the for the time being or do I hold on to it and, and fight a really boring drawn out protracted engagement like you know you can you can play however you want but not every way that, to play is necessarily the right way to play and you know people I think coming from a place of not knowing the series very well, accuse all Final Fantasy games of being the same, but man, that's so not true. What I like about the series is that it's so mutable. Like, from one installment to the next, it's going to be a different game using some of the same concepts and spells and and maybe plot devices, but man, it's just, it's going to play differently, and this is one of those cases. Final Fantasy XV seems like it's going to be really different. I mean, even even though it has some things in common with Final Fantasy XII and with Lightning Returns, it's still its own thing by far. And I'm personally looking forward to spending more time with it and getting to kind of, uh, you know, getting a better sense of how the mechanics work and how the systems fall into place. But, you know, I can, I can see where, you know, if someone just wants Final Fantasy X again, they're going to be really annoyed. Or, you know, people coming into this from playing Assassin's Creed or Arkham Asylum or something, and it's not going to play quite like that either. And they're going to say, like, why doesn't this work the way I want it to? Um, I don't know. You, you kind of have to approach a, a well-designed game from the, you know, sort of put away your expectations and say, oh, this is something different. I need to figure out how it works instead of saying, why won't this work the way I want it to work? Uh, you know, when I saw Final Fantasy fifteen and spent some time with it, my first thought was, man, oh man, this game is like catnip for Jeremy, because my first thought was, it's going in some pretty daring places in terms of open world design, um, in terms of combat and that sort of thing. And my first thought was Final Fantasy twelve. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just in terms of, especially the freedom that it gives you. I mean... One of the favorite thing, one of my favorite sights was standing on an open road, looking off into the horizon with open field on either side, and it's basically saying, "Go ahead, explore." Um, and that's what Final Fantasy XII did as well. It really opened up the world and said, "Enjoy, uh, go, 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 have a look. See if you can find some um, some bounties to collect, or not bounties, hunts were they?" Um, yeah, whatever it was. Lightning Returns sort of does the same thing, though you have more of a hard time limit. And I, I mean, you, you really enjoy that sort of the freedom that it offers. And, and the fact that Final Fantasy XV is willing to take risks, it seems, with its design is really encouraging. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to extrapolate too much of the game's overall design and structure from this one demo because it's a slice of the game. But I do think that they probably chose this sequence of the game deliberately to say, like, here's a statement of intent. I feel like it was not like, you know, here is a really neat idea that you're never going to really experience anywhere else in the game. Like, you know, it'd be like a Final Fantasy thirteen demo giving you the 11th chapter of the game, that big open field where you could just run around and saying, this is Final Fantasy thirteen, but, oh, no, actually it's not. I don't, I don't think they're doing that. I think this is more of like, you know, a few hours in, you kind of have your 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 head on the head around the system and here's an example of an area where you can explore. And the the demo even has, you know, invisible walls that say, Oh wait, you can't play anymore here because that's not where you're allowed to go in the demo, but you'll be able to go out here in Final Fantasy fifteen when it's finished. Like that's that's appealing to me. And the the, the twelve connection, um I definitely can see where people could get that vibe because if you remember when you when you left the first city, Rabinastra, 
in Final Fantasy XII. You could go out in the field. There were all these like little tiny enemies. You could fight them, no problem. And then there was that giant T-Rex just kind of hanging out. And you know, your, your first thought was like, oh my god, there's this huge monster. I better get the jump on it. But it's, it wasn't actually hostile unless you made it aggro. So, you know, if you if you turned it aggro, then yeah, it was going to destroy you like in a single bite. But otherwise, it was just going to be kind of there chilling out. And, you know, that kind of taught you the uh the different iconography and the different symbols that the game used. Like it had a different color health bar, which meant it wasn't hostile. So you needed to learn that, and that was a very quick way to come across that reality. Um 15 kind of does the same thing. You've got like some little aggressive tiny enemies that are always after you. And then you've got the bigger, like the, the ruminants, the garula, uh, that are like the big red things that are just kind of hanging out and they'll, they'll mess you up if you go after them, but you can still, you know, destroy a flock of them or a herd of them if you want to. But then there's those giant dinosaur things out in the water that you, you just look at it and you know, at this point in the game, and the demo, I am not equipped to, to defeat those things, so I'm just going to let it be. Um, so, you know, it, it does that that same kind of approach of, like, there are, there are threats out here that you'll be able to deal with later, but don't, don't push your luck right now, okay? I expect that I kind of know that your answer for this, but how do you feel about the fact that this version of Final Fantasy is a full action game? Um, do you miss the fact that it was that it's not turn based this time around? No, I mean, you know, Final Fantasy varies from game to game, um, and honestly, I I think they're kind of struggling to create a concept that would that would allow turn based combat to really work in an HD setting, for better or for worse. People expect certain things when it comes to a certain level of visual fidelity. And I, I think it's harder to get that sort of abstraction of, of characters taking turns, lining up and shaking sticks at each other uh, in the air when you have a game that looks so realistic. Um, you know, I don't want every RPG to be like this, but kind of like with Final Fantasy thirteen, I don't want every RPG to be this linear slog through a bunch of hallways, but I'm okay with it if, if it's done well once or twice. That's okay. So, you know, like, this may not be the ideal form of the RPG. I don't know. We'll have to see how the full game shakes out. But if if they pull it off in this case, that's that's great. That's cool. Uh, I don't think every RPG is suddenly going to become an open-world Assassin's Creed-inspired, you know, Dragon Age, Inquisition. Skyrim. Uh, yeah, I'm, not, I'm getting not so much Skyrim from it, but mm-hmm. definitely Dragon Age Inquisition. Um, Which I really liked, actually. <laughs> yeah, I like, it's, a lot. it's fine. I mean, it, it feels contemporary, but at the same time, even though I can see where they were drawing some inspiration, unlike a lot of contemporary games, it doesn't feel totally derivative. I don't feel like, oh, I've already played this before. Like, uh, what I saw the demo, you know, the the hour that I've played with the demo, it feels it feels different. I mean, there's even kind of a Grand Theft Auto vibe to it because of the the design and the technology in the world. Like it's very sort of modern day, but it, it doesn't feel like a GTA game either when you really stop and think about it. So, you know, I'm I'm okay with games taking inspiration uh, from other sources as long as they try to do their own thing. And this. This really does feel like they're doing their own thing, and I'm, I've, I've been really encouraged by what I've played of it. So, ultimately, it sounds like you're pretty positive on this demo, and that it's going in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, uh, mm-hmm. yes, I would say yes. so. Um, I mean, you know, when, when, they, when they gave the game to Tabata to direct after, you know, whatever, whatever happened with Tetsuya Nomura, the creator of Kingdom Hearts that caused him to go say, well, time to work on kingdom hearts three. Now, like, I don't, I don't know the story there. I, I'm sure we'll never hear the full story. Um, people keep things close to the vest, but I, I do feel like Tabata has a better sense of, you know, what, what gamers necessarily want. I mean, I, I get, you know, kingdom hearts has its fans, and it will continue to have its fans, and it will continue to sell well, but it's definitely kind of its own little closed fan base. Whereas I feel like this game is more in line with, you know, 
like what's happening in video games right now. It feels very tuned in, and that's something that Final Fantasy hasn't really had in quite a while. Does it come out this year? I think so. I would be surprised if it's not out this fall. Um, hmm. Yeah, Tabata gets things done on time. Yeah, I mean, Type Zero maybe not so much, but um, yeah. you know that everything with with the Fabula Nova Crystallis has been troubled. But yeah, I mean, Tabata in in the time that since they announced Final Fantasy Thirteen and Versus Thirteen, which is of course what originally Final Fantasy Fifteen was, and Agato Thirteen, Tabata has put out. Final Fantasy VII Crisis Core, uh, Parasite Eve, The Third Birthday, um, Final Fantasy Type-0, and now Final Fantasy Type-0 HD. Uh, has there been something else in there? I don't, I don't, uh, I don't think so. No, no I, think, I think after Type-0, they were just like, all right, dude, um, why don't you do 15 for us now? And yeah. he, he gets stuff done. Of course, those PSP games have all been at a smaller scale than Final Fantasy 15 and much, much less ambitious. But... He also had to salvage a game that has been in development since, what, 2006? Yeah, but I get the impression that they really didn't have a lot of game systems in place. I think he inherited a story and a world that, um, you know, it, it's his job to just kind of pull everything together and make a game out of it. The way, you know, the way Final Fantasy thirteen was developed... They just made all kinds of art assets. They they had the story. They had FMVs in place. Final Fantasy twelve also like it's kind of funny to look back at Final Fantasy twelve because I remember back when it launched in two thousand six, the CG seemed really dated, and it's because they had you know made it back at like the same time as Final Fantasy ten. So um, you know, so they have like the main story beats and the characters and the the art assets for the world and the cities and all that stuff. They they have that in place already, so it's his job to just come in and say, "Let's make a game out of this." And it's such a backward way of looking at it. If you think about it, it's funny that they take that approach. It it is, but at the same time, like I'm not going to say it's wrong. I don't think everyone should take the same approach to making games because then all the games turn out looking the same. Mm-hmm. Um, like, uh, you know, do does does the world really need a lot of the Order 1866s or 1886s? I, I really don't feel like it. Like, that game, that that's an example of a game that feels very contemporary and tuned in, but totally derivative. Like, I just felt like everything in that game, I'd already done it before. And, you know, it was, it was really well made, um, but it just lacked a spark of, of creativity that I really need in my games. And 15 seems to have that. I, I don't know that I'm really tuned in to its uh like 20 year old pretty hair fancy boys like that that that's not really um who i'm looking to connect with as a character but you know as long as the surrounding game is good and the story is interesting i'm okay with that so uh i'm i'm definitely looking forward to 15 i've been looking forward to it ever since tabata took over um but now that i've played what they've put together like it's much much better than I had feared or even anticipated. So I'm much better than you feared. Yes, I feared it was going it's, to be like a bad Kingdom Hearts game. Yeah, but me it's, too. It's not. It's it's its own thing, and I really like the direction they're going with it. So it sounds like Jeremy and I are both pretty positive on it. I think it looks great, to be honest. Uh, especially once they lock in the frame rate and everything, which I expect they will do in the final game. What do you think? So drop us a line at. Uh, the underscore capwat or at usgamernet uh, or send me an email at cat.bailey at usgamer.net and tell me your thoughts on the Final Fantasy 15 demo. I am curious to hear. I may read your responses here on the podcast. So let's continue to Tabata's other game, Final Fantasy Type-0 HD, which finally came out after a very, very long wait. So... The story of Final Fantasy Type-0 is very well known at this point. It was part of the Fabula Nova Crystallis uh, project. It was a, began life as a mobile game, eventually became a PSP game, took quite a while to come out, finally came out in 2011 in Japan on the PSP. But because the PSP was so dead by 2011 uh, that pretty much nothing could get ported. A bunch of games that were extremely worthy uh, were disappointingly left in Japan, and Final Fantasy Type-0 was unfortunately one of them. For a long time, the project looked dead, 
Like it was just under, it was just assumed that that game was not ever coming out and we were just going to have to deal, we were just going to have to live with the fan translation and that would be that. Until last year at E3, like the news came out of nowhere. Hey, Final Fantasy Type Zero in HD on the Xbox One and the PlayStation 4. This is incredible. And less than a year later, here it is. And now we finally all get to play it. Uh, The first thing I want to say about this is I am really surprised by the people who are coming out and saying that this is a slipshod effort graphically, that Square Enix, quote, did not put any time into it. Because I think they are really underestimating the difficulty of taking a PSP game and making it look even halfway decent on a modern console. So they've completely updated the character models. Um, they, they didn't really update them. What they did is they took mm-hmm. the cutscene character models that were really high resolution, and uh, they put those in as the combat models also. So they basically had those assets available. They just repurposed them for a different part of the game. But they look good, right? They do. Yeah, I mean, the I, I think people have a tendency when they think about you know playing games on PSP. You know, they looked really good. Oh man, those games look great. Or you know, PS2 or whatever. Like they think back on games and they remember them looking better than they did. It's always kind of a, a little bit of a shock to go back and play an N64 game or something and be like, oh, hey, that actually looks kind of crappy. And, you know, the PSP game looked really good for a PSP game, but it was a PSP game, which means it was running on hardware that was less powerful than the PlayStation 2. So we're like 2.5 generations out from PSP technology. So, yeah, I mean, they, they took a PSP game and put it in an HD system and it definitely has some, you know, some artifacts of that. It, what it, what it really looks like to me is sort of the kind of work you would expect in an HD console from, say, like Tales Studios or you know, like sort of a B tier RPG developer. Like that's pretty much par for the course for the genre. We've we've come to expect Final Fantasy games to be sort of the bleeding edge and. That, that just wasn't in the cards for this game. It was, you know, kind of a, I think, a low-budget conversion uh, out of necessity. Um, yeah, so I'm not... I, I, I don't think it looks that great, but I don't think it looks terrible either. And I'm okay with that. I'm happy to play the game. The, the, the tech problem I have, the conversion problem that I have, is that, like, you can tell it was designed for PSP because there's so much there's so much loading. Like you're always going out of a zone to another zone and like that, that adds up and it gets really irritating. Like if, if you really look, the game is basically it, it, the world consists of boxes that are connected one to the other, just like, you know, the third birthday or crisis core. Um, they, the, 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 the compromise of making such a great looking game on PSP PSP was that you had to kind of, chop it up into little tiny bite-sized pieces. Um, and I think that the the sort of structure of, of the game world is so integral to the way it plays, like, you know, the, the way missions play out where you have that map and everything is kind of laid out and you're supposed to be, you know, keeping track of where you're going. I think it would be really difficult for them to redesign the game to work more seamlessly like you would expect from an HD game. And that that is a big disappointment to me. Um, because it does feel really choppy and everything feels really kind of cramped and bounded. But, you know, that's, that's really the one, the one big technical complaint I have that, and the, the camera is really, really spazzy. It is, yeah. I'm like, I play it and I get headaches just because it jumps around so much and they put that blur effect in there to, I think, help mask it, but ooh, it's rough. I was going to say that it's PSP lineage is pretty apparent in the way that it moves and it animates because yeah it does indeed feel quite a bit like third birthday in particular um which is not in of itself a bad thing i i I mostly went in and i was pleasantly surprised in many ways because i guess i went in feeling like okay well this is an upgraded port of a psp game how how good could it possibly look 
And obviously, they were not going to rebuild it from the ground up. So all things considered, what they managed to do with it is pretty darn good. I mean, I would say that it looks quite a bit better, for example, than uh, the HD version of Peace Walker, Metal Gear Solid Peace Walker. So there is that. Yeah, and I mean, if you really stop and look at Type Zero and think, oh, this was a PSP game. My God, it's it's massive and ambitious. I mean, yes. Every every demo that I had played of it, and you know, even the the import version that I played like the first hour of, um, it all just struck me as being very sort of like a, a really sloppy RPG shooter hybrid. The, the first mission is really rough, but once you actually get into the game, it does feel more like kind of a real RPG than anything in the Final Fantasy series has for a while. Like, there's this sort of hub city, the the academia, and then there's an overworld with random combat, and then on top of that, there's all these side quests and missions, you can raise chocobos, um, and then you even have the the army battles, where you're, like, helping out these, these uh, you know, the, the, the army push, the Ru- Ruben Nestra, I can't remember what it's called, the... <laughs> Uh, this is a Final Fantasy game. Yes, like, who even knows names. what the names? You're, you're helping your your Academia army take over towns that have been occupied and so forth. So there's there's a lot going on in this game. A lot of different modes of play, and you know you can you can tell it's meant to be a portable game because you have 14 characters that you have to level up individually. It really expects you to spend a lot of time, I think, doing the side quests and side missions to uh, increase your power. Kind of like in Monster Hunter, you're expected to go out on you know side quests to get gear and equipment and stuff and, and things, uh, recipes for crafting and so forth. Um, so there is, and you know, Peace Walker too. There is this kind of, I think, expectation of killing a lot of time with the game, and that doesn't work so well on a console. Um, but you know. Again, you, you kind of remember this where this started, and it really does seem like it was kind of meant to be the ultimate um, sort of experience that you could have on PSP. And I'm disappointed we didn't get it on PSP or like a you know uh, an upresed version for Vita or something. But it should have been on Vita. Yeah, but I, I can understand why they didn't want to do that because they wanted to sell more than a thousand copies. So <laughs> I, I think it was smart of them to up yeah. res it to HD to PlayStation Four and Xbox One, even if it's not necessarily the best fit for those systems. But you know, there aren't a lot of other RPGs on those systems yet. It's, it's certainly not a lot of classic, more traditional RPGs the way that this is structured. So I, I, I think it's you know, I think it has a place in the ecosystem definitely. So let's talk a little bit about the scope and that structure. So the way Final Fantasy Type-0 works is you have, I believe, 14 uh, class members from Class-0 that you can pick from. Each one of them has their own particular specialty. Um, some of them are dual-wielding with swords. Some of them are have, have like a big heavy mace. Some of them throw playing cards that explode like Gambit. Um, and you have a party of three that you can switch between to uh, leverage their various abilities. Uh, each of them feels unique. And between missions, uh, you already mentioned this, you go to a school called Academia, and you uh, it almost feels a little bit like Persona in that you use your time, like you get a certain amount of time between missions, and you can use that time to either get to know your classmates and learn about their backstory and that sort of thing, or you can use your time to level up your character and get better for battle. And there's definitely a, a push and pull going on there. Um, and the thing that jumps out at me, at me is, yeah, it, in terms of scope, it is a really ambitious game. And there's a lot going on here. Uh, what do you think? Mm, yeah, I mean, you compared it to Persona. I can I can definitely see that. To me, it feels like... They sat down and said, what if we really stopped and thought about Final Fantasy VIII? Like, that world, that's an interesting world. The concept of these students with special powers at a, stu- at a, at a you know, school that's specifically designed around training soldiers in a very militaristic and combat-driven world. Um, 
so yeah, they they really I feel like they they took that concept and really realized it properly. Like, what is a school like? What is it all about? Um, and it's 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 interesting because you know it doesn't play like a traditional Final Fantasy when you get into battle. It's it's a real time game, and just like Final Fantasy fifteen, just like Lightning Returns. It's a crisis core. It's action-driven, so you're controlling a single character, and then you have two AI companions. You can jump between your active party members. Um, yeah, so so it's um, it's interesting because you can really sort of uh, adapt your your playstyle to fit what whatever works best for you. Um, I mean, I, I tend to gravitate toward a specific few characters. Um, I, I find I like best. Uh, Rem, because she's very fast with her dual wielding. So if you run in close to an enemy, you can get that kill sight thing on them, where there's a, a red icon that flashes around them. As the basically, you're you're performing a counter as they're about to to uh, to attack, and you can perform an instant kill. So she's really good at that. King, uh, because he has handguns, is also really good at that. He can he can stand at a distance, and you can target an enemy, and as soon as they do the kill sight, you can just shoot them and, and take them out of action. Uh, and also um, Cater, because she has that crazy magic gun that automatically charges up and uh, is very helpful for taking out enemies in a single shot without the kill site. Um, but, you know, different people will probably like different uh, different approaches. I think, oh, who is it who has the whip? Is it Seven? Oh, I think so, yeah. I yeah. know what you're talking about, though. Yeah, her whip skills are really great. She's got a, like, a really big melee range. Um the Sace, I think. Um, the character with the scythe is surprisingly fast for having such a long pole arm. Um, you know, there's there's different different applications for every character, and then on top of that, um, you can go in and you can customize what skills they learn, and you have the ability to take two powers at a time into combat with you. Each character has their own special, you know, spells and and superpowers and so forth. And they can take two at a time into combat to use with uh, magic points or with uh, stamina points. So there's a lot of customization. Uh, like I said, you know, it is designed with the expectation that you're going to do a lot of grinding with the characters, and it can get even worse because you can um, you can go into battle with your your uh, companions from academia and just your 14 party members in reserve and swap out when someone dies. Um, but you can also go in and have reinforcements come from Academia who aren't your 14 party members, and you'll get special like a special currency for teaming up with them, but your characters who aren't being used won't gain any experience. So it takes even longer to level up. So there's, there's a lot of different um, kind of currencies and numbers to increment and watch get bigger. And uh, <clears throat> yeah, it's, it's a game that expects a lot of time from you um but you know it, it's good i enjoy it i think it's really it's not really, surprising really not surprising given its psp roots and the fact that in japan they're like look this game is going to take up a ridiculous amount of time it is meant to be a big old time sink so have fun right and you know it's all like the time sink is all there on the disc you don't have to pay extra for any of this stuff thank so. god you know, so it's different from a mobile game in that perspective. But um, yeah, I don't know. Like, get, get, getting beyond just sort of the uh, the sort of built-in requirements for play, there is a lot to do. And some of the little side quests you can take are very simple, like bring me some potions. But some of them are very character specific. Like, I want to talk to this character. And then some of them are, you know, more demanding tasks. Like, go out into the world and do this thing for me. And you only have. X number of turns or, you know, actions you can take in the world before the next mission begins. So you have to balance that out. I know people who are like super completist hate that kind of thing. They're like, I can't do every single thing in the video game that kills me. But, you know, on the other hand, to get the full plot of the game and see the full story, you have to play it twice. So if you don't do it the first time through, there's always the second hundred hours. So, uh, at Papa's Man says, I was disappointed in Final Fantasy Type-0 until I understood the co- how the combat works, and then it clicked and I started loving it. The FPS and lock-on needs serious work, though. What are your thoughts? My thoughts? Yeah. Yeah, the lock-on system is pretty bad. 
Mm-hmm. Um, it's yeah, the camera system, the lock on, it's all very hyperactive and never quite does what I want it to. Like you'd think if you hit lock on, you'll lock onto the character that's dead in your sights, but sometimes you'll lock into a character that's right next to you. Sometimes you'll lock onto a character you can't even see. It's, it's pretty irritating. There's um, also kind of a soft lock on. It feels like at least when I was using um, range, I was using ACE and I was throwing the cards. It felt like the the cards were guided toward an enemy, despite the fact that I wasn't locked on. And so at that point, I actually stopped using the lock on because it started to get kind of annoying for me. Yeah, but you need the lock on to um, to retrieve the Phantoma, which is another mm-hmm. thing for you to collect and increment. Um, that is pretty finicky, actually. Yeah, like sometimes, I, I, yeah, I don't know. Like it's it's pretty rough in some ways. Like there there are a few things that are keeping this game from being as good as it could be. But I'm I'm willing to overlook some of the the little design quirks because of its its origins and see it more. I almost see Type Zero as a as a statement of intent. It's like them saying, "Hey, we're we're trying to do something." different with the Final Fantasy brand here, but at the same time, we want to do something that's very like Final Fantasy-ish. So you have a lot of things like breeding chocobos and the fact that when you're in academia, the music that plays is the crystal theme. Um, you know, it's just, it's very... So I, I kind of feel a little self-defeating saying this, but I think the reason that Type Zero and 15 are so appealing is because they're created by new blood. They're not, they're not the same final fantasy guys who have been making final fantasy games for the past 20 years. Tabata has been, you know, I guess he's been with the series for like a decade now, but he wasn't old school final fantasy. He came from another developer and kind of jumped in and started working in their PSP games. And I, I think that makes a big difference versus Kitase, Nomura, uh, Toriyama, or Nomura, yeah, 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 Toriyama. Um, like, all these guys who have been with Final Fantasy since the late 80s, early 90s, uh, you know, I, I think I think they just um, kind of have been struggling to, to look beyond their experiences and really get what works about, um, about the games and what people want. And... I don't think Tabata has that that limitation. I think, you know, coming in with a fresh perspective really helps. And, you know, I think there's value to um, to veterans working on games. And I, I hope that there's a place for old people like me in the industry. But at the same time, I think, you know, the, the appeal of, of Type-0 and 15 comes from the fact that it's not someone saying, how can I make my Final Fantasy games more cool and more appealing to people but someone saying, how can I create a Final Fantasy game out of the things that people like and that I enjoy? I mean, Tabata is is one of the, the new school of Japanese game designers who really is tuned in to more than just his own company's work. And I think that makes a big difference. Like, he's playing a lot of games from Japan and from the West and kind of just seeing, you know, tracking how they work and, and what succeeds about those games. I think that um, I think that's the, the the piece that Final Fantasy has been missing for a while, and I'm positive that is why they said, "Please take over Final Fantasy 15." Like they looked at what he did with the Type Zero and said, "This is uh, this is different, but this is very Final Fantasy." I think I think you you get it. I think we need this. They also had a lot of success handing, obviously handing the reins over to Naoki Yoshida who is another example of that kind of new blood uh, or new generation developer. And they saw uh, what we got was a developer who, as you said, was not just to, yeah, he was a big Final Fantasy fan, but he was also a huge fan of World of Warcraft. And he just understood how MMORPGs worked. And he took Final Fantasy XIV, was frankly a mess, and boiled it down to basics, and yeah, it's a very traditional MMORPG, but there is a craving for that kind of experience, and people came uh, with a Final Fantasy look and feel, and people came to it in droves, and I think that the fact that Yoshida rescued that project from the abyss gave Square Enix uh, the courage to say, all right, well, 
well, maybe we can make lightning strike twice and hand the reins over to Tab- Tabata and let's see what he can do with Final Fantasy uh, versus 13, which was all but dead. As of like 2011, 2012, there was real speculation that it was dead. And now, I mean, <laughs> Chris Kohler called it the king of vaporware may actually be coming out by the end of the year. It's really impressive. So ultimately, um, you as of this podcast, you have not posted your review yet because it's a big game. Would you recommend it? Um, yeah, I think I would. I think, you know, if if you're the kind of person who likes Final Fantasy's more quirky experimental side, um, I think you'd really enjoy Type-0 because, like I said, it really does kind of hit that weird spot that Final Fantasy VIII did. Like, it, it hits a lot of the same themes. At the same time, there's a lot about it that you're you're just like, oh, yeah, that's, that's familiar, that's comfortable. This is Final Fantasy. Um... It's it's a you know it's not a it's not a home run. I think it would would have been more so on PSP. Um, but you know, even with kind of the the slightly dated and awkward graphics and the the loading times and the the jumpy camera, I still think it's a really good game and. I feel like it's a good taste of what Final Fantasy 15 has in store, not just because of the demo, but just because of um, the the overall ethos behind Type Zero. So I've I've really enjoyed it so far. Um, hope to have my review up soon. And uh, you know, I, I think there's, I think there's, uh, there's, I don't know. I, I think it's good for people to give it, go after it with an open mind. I think. Um, there is a lot of kind of cynicism around Final Fantasy these days, and maybe with some justification. But like, this, this is a good one. I'm 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 in favor of it. My own perspective is there are a lot of things about this game that I really just like in general out of my RPGs. I like the fact that I have a pretty deep pool of characters to pull from. Uh, the combat is not super in depth, but there is enough there that I can enjoy it. I like the the school hub. I like the time management aspects. It it people have complained about the graphics and yeah, no, it's not going to match the best of what you're seeing from this generation, but frankly, um it looks fine. <laughs> it, it I would say it actually looks pretty darn good and that's what I was that was the feeling that I was getting when I was playing it. And given that I never thought that I would actually be able to play this game ever, outside of maybe downloading a fan translation somewhere. The fact that I'm playing it on the PS4 and the Xbox One is nothing short of a freaking miracle. And I kind of want to reward Square Enix's faith in this project and in the fans by saying, yeah, go buy it. Go reward this kind of sense of experimental, uh, this experimental approach. Go reward the fact that they are giving the fans what they have been asking for for four years. I I would love to see more Final Fantasy Type 0 in general, perhaps on a console where you are it's kind of free you mean type from Type 1. Uh I've heard that there might be like Type 0 2 or something like that. There there are rumors of a sequel in the works. Right, right. No, I, I think the idea was like Type 0, Type 1, Type 2. Ah. Um once you get further into the game and see more of the story, it mm-hmm. really lends itself to um maybe not direct sequels, but the concept is kind of really open to um, to follow-ups. Yes, I think so. Uh, I mean, you got class zero. What about class one? Show me different classes. Um, yeah, not even not even so much that, um, but but yes, um, you know this this was kind of conceived originally as part of you know like a Final Fantasy thirteen spinoff, but then they started thinking actually it's going to be its own thing, and we'd like for there to be more of these games, more Type Zero, Type One, Type Two, et cetera, et cetera. I think they they trade or they registered URLs for like Type One and Type Zero, Type Two. Um, but anyway, uh, well, I, I just want to say don't feel obligated to play this game just because your friends at US Gamer played. Uh, a helpful role in getting it localized for the U.S. You can just play it and, and be grateful, but don't feel obligated or anything, okay? We're not getting anything out of it. So what do you think of Final Fantasy Type-0? Um, as before, interested to hear your thoughts. Leave a comment. 
drop us an email, uh, go to Twitter, US Gamernet, and all of that stuff. Alright, so let's finish up this podcast with a little bit of email. Last time we inducted Final Fantasy VI into the canon of the Blood God, and we had some comments from readers. Uh, the first one, and this was actually a suggestion uh, that we be more mindful of this, they want to know, what is the best way to play Final Fantasy VI especially for those without handheld systems. This was Josh Hoopman 34. I want to say that the best way to do it, if you can, is to go into your Wii U, go into the Wii uh, virtual console shell, go onto the eShop, or go into the, the, the store and download the ROM from on your virtual console. Um, it's That's the best way to play it because I I'm I am of the mind that the original Final Fantasy VI for the SNES is, or Final Fantasy III, I guess, is the best way to play that game. What do you think, Jeremy? Um, yeah, I mean that's a that's a really good way to do it. The other suggestion I would have would be to um, get Final Fantasy VI Advance and play that game on something like a Retron, uh, where you're technically emulating it, even though you have to use the cartridge for it. Because that supports patch files, and there's a patch out there that restores the proper sound and the uh, the proper color balance for the graphics, and that gives you kind of the best of both worlds, like the best looking and sounding Final Fantasy VI, but with a an expanded localization. Um, you know, there's there's a more coherent story to it. Not that the original localization was bad; it was just limited, um, and it also brings the nomenclature of the series in line with the the traditional standards now. Things like um, the, the 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 spell Pearl is now holy because that's what it should be called. Holy. You don't have Nintendo censoring any religious reference. So um, that that's that a pretty great way to play. That always confused me back in the day. I was like Pearl. I mean, I guess well, it looks pearly. They did they did look like little pearls descending on an enemy, uh, and it was it was definitely more helpful than fade which is what it was called in the original Final Fantasy, or White in or Final X-Zone. Fantasy 2. Well, X-Zone was a different spell. Oh, but. yeah, that's true. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, the thing with Final Fantasy VI is most of the ports have some kind of issue. The GBA version, uh, the soundtrack isn't as good because the GBA's sound chip was more limited. The GBA didn't have a sound chip. What? You're blowing my mind. Oh, wait. Are we thinking of the N64? But yeah, it didn't have the... The um, well, you know, the the Super NES couldn't generate computer sound; mm-hmm. it was all samples. Uh, and the GBA had more of a traditional audio chip that just generated wavetable sound. So they had to kind of fudge it, and it didn't work out that well. Which is unfortunate because Final Fantasy VI has an amazing soundtrack, as we already discussed in the previous episode. Uh, the but mobile, I, I would, yeah, I would say that's the least compromised of all ports. In the mobile version, uh, your mileage will really vary on the art. I am not a fan. And the PlayStation version has load times, which is a big problem. Though maybe not as big a problem now that it's not loading directly from a CD, right? No, it's still really bad. It's still really bad? Don't play the PS1 version of Final Fantasy VI. But you get really dated CG, Jeremy. Don't do it. (laughs) All right. So Thumbscar says, personal anecdote, there have been a few times in my life where I've tried to ease someone into the JRPG genre. Final Fantasy VI go- usually goes over very well for someone who isn't already familiar with the genre's conventions and doesn't want to commit 40 or 50 hours plus. Specifically, I think the game does a good job introducing you to job-style archetypes without dropping you in the deep end. It takes a while for all the systems to be rolled out, espers, and the moderate customization that comes with it, but in the meantime, it gives you a fairly balanced teams to play with then experiment with before the game gives you the opportunity to potentially break its systems. That said, the game is too easy. Some kind of hard mode in a remake would be welcome. Or better yet, Final Fantasy VI Zodiac Job System Edition, which I would totally play. Uh, I agree because Final Fantasy VI was my first real JRPG where I was really getting into it. Um, uh, And I do think that it does a very good job of easing people into the actual game. What do you you think, Jeremy? Would you 
would you recommend it as a great entry point game for somebody who's trying to get into Japanese RPGs or RPGs in general? Yeah, um, I mean, it is kind of dated visually, um, but it, it's a good starting point. I think <clears throat> the uh, the original American Easy Type version of Final Fantasy IV or Final Fantasy II is also a good one because it's so linear um, that you get kind of like a best of RPGs run through without having to really worry about customization and, and that sort of thing. Um, and also, it's not very challenging. There, there are probably other more recent games that would be good. Like any, any Dragon Quest is a pretty good introduction. Although they're uh, they're all sort of deliberately uh, a little archaic and can also have surprising difficulty spikes. But you know, you can you can do worse than Dragon Quest. I sort of feel like out of all the SNES uh, RPGs, outside of maybe Chrono Trigger, Final Fantasy VI kind of holds up the best because it really pushed that system pretty hard um, in terms of graphics and everything. And, I mean, good sprite work still holds up today. I mean, yeah, they're little squat characters, and it's not unbelievable, but the spells generally look very good. Uh, Obviously, the soundtrack's terrific, so I... I don't think people are going to go in and having to like go, oh god, this is so terrible, but I'm suffering through it. So, In any case, the final email this is a bit of a long one, but I liked it, so I'm going to read it by Lord Bob Bree. Thanks, by the way. Uh, he says, Final Fantasy VI is quite thematic, I think, focusing around despair and hope. Through the game, most of the characters, as well as the entire world, end up depressed and without hope in one way or another. Terra has to deal with being unable to understand the emotions and an inability to love. Cyan is faced with the loss of his family. Strago thinks he loses his granddaughter. As the story progresses, though, they all find some resolution to their problems and find hope for the future, except for Shadow, because poor Shadow. They all even require other people to help them out of their despair, importantly, except Shadow, showing that some problems are too much for a person on their own. I also don't feel that the game falls apart with the world of Ruin. It turns from a generally linear directed story to one split off into smaller character-based stories. They're just side quests, but I think the structure of the world of Ruin and the fact that many of these side quests are necessary to recruit characters makes them more important than side quests usually are. Far from falling apart, I think the game finds a new strength. The battle system, though, is disappointing in ways. As you said in the podcast, customization in it tends to result in a homogenic, give-everyone-magic approach. Sure, some characters have their own unique traits that they can use well, Edgar and Mog and their spears, for example, but magic is always the superior option. Final Fantasy V kind of had that problem as well, with how freelancers slash mimes with rapid fire or dual cast were the obvious ways to go, but I think splitting things up into classes also made it a bit easier to experiment. With Final Fantasy VI, though, why use lore when it's essentially a worse magic? And I would say that my comment on that is... Final Fantasy has always made magic a bit overpowered, which was going kind of full circle. Final Fantasy VIII was funny because I would go as far as to say magic was actually maybe a little underpowered in that game, where it was not really the optimal way to go. Like, Faraga could be good, but you could usually do a lot more damage by junctioning a powerful spell to your sword and just going out and taking him out. And to the extent that I always use magic in Final Fantasy VIII, it was usually support stuff like aura so that I could get up to my limit breaks. But in games like Final Fantasy VI and Final Fantasy VII in particular, magic is extremely powerful. Is that a perspective that you have, Jeremy? Um, yeah, I mean, it varies from game to game. Um, Ever Give everybody Ultima. Yeah. Ultima I mean, is so good in Final Fantasy VI. It's easy to break Final Fantasy VI for sure with magic, but... Um. Yeah, sure. Why not? I'll go with it. Sure, why not? Well, if you have any other questions or comments, obviously, I've already said this before, but drop us a line. And Jeremy, where can you be reached? On the internet. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at GameSpite, or of course on usgamer.net and retronauts.com and other places. And you can find me at the underscore catbot, or you can send me an email, cat.bailey at usgamer.net. Next week, uh, Bloodborne is coming out, so that's a big game, and we are going to have a full discussion about it. Polygon's Phil Kohler will be joining us uh, along with Bob Mackey, so please look forward to that. Until then, this has been 
acts of the blood god i almost said act of time babble but <laughs> because i was talking about final fantasy so much uh so thank you jeremy for joining me it's been fun as always yep and happy adventuring music for acts of the blood god provided by Leif chappelle find more of his music at leifchappelle.com and the rpg maker music pack at rpgmaker.net for more great gaming content, follow us at usgamer.net. <laughs>